Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. Father, we thank you for you. Uh, I already know that you are in this place, Lord. I, I just beg that you are um, just through this sermon. Uh, let your words be heard. Lord, just give me the strength. Give me the confidence. Uh, Lord, just give me the power to preach a message that is glorifying and honoring to you. Lord, be with these students. I know they could be anywhere else in, in the world right now. Uh, but they chose to be in this place, to be in your presence um, let them be able to void out all distractions right now. Uh, let them not worry about school. Let them not worry about anything. Family, let them not worry about anything uh, besides the fact that they are here to have an encounter with you. Lord, let tonight be amazing. Let it be for you. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, if you would turn to First John. We're continuing our series, and we are now in... First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15. And this is what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. Come on now. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions... It's not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I just have a quick question for you. Um, do any of you have parents that were just way too much in your sporting events growing up? Anybody with me? Right? You had the yelling dad. Or the crazy mom that everybody looked at but was afraid to say anything. Amen. Right? You know, I, I pride myself in how calm and collected I am. Now, I do slip up time to time in traffic. All right? Um, I, can't, I can't be perfect. All right? And uh, in, in everything, especially when it comes to traffic. And, and as Logan will tell you, uh, if I'm in traffic and I'm in the passenger seat, I, I lose it even more. Like, God, please work on me. I'm trying to be sanctified. All right, become more like Jesus in the passenger seat. Uh, but when we, like over the last, uh, I guess since January, my oldest son uh, started basketball. And this was my wife and I's first love. We loved basketball growing up. Uh, big MJ fan over here. All right. Um, and we're excited. We want, we want him to fall in love with the same game that we fell in love with. And so we went to his first game, and we sat down on, uh, on the bleachers next to all the other parents, and we were getting to know them for about the first five to ten minutes. And uh, what we noticed is that a lot of them already knew each other because a lot of them had older kids that had already been playing basketball for a while. So this was nothing new to them. And they were all sipping their coffees, which I didn't know that you were supposed to take your coffee cup to, to a basketball game, but I started doing it after the second game. You know, I had to blend in a little bit. But the game started, and what I noticed with a lot of these uh, other parents is that um, they would chit-chat and be like, oh yeah, go Jerry, good job, good job Tony, and then go back to the talking, and like, it was just another day, another game, no big deal to them. I admired that, but I, I soon realized about 32 seconds into the game, my wife and I are not chill like that, and we were the screaming parents, 
And we're like, Revan, get the ball. And like we started like saying, like, refs, why aren't you calling this? You know, this is a six-year-old game. They're walking the whole time, all right? And like we are super into it. We're not chill. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm one of those crazy parents. I mean, uh, you would have thought like the way that we handle ourselves, like we have high expectations for Revan to be in the NBA. Like we are melting down the ninth time that he missed a pass and kicks the ball out of bounds. We're like, what are you doing with your life? Like, like you're failing, right? Like, why aren't you doing yourself a couple weeks ago? And during a timeout, he ran over and he says, Dad, you have to quit yelling at me to shoot the ball. I'm a team player. All right, I want to spread the wealth. And Dad, I just need you to quit. And I was like, okay. I'm like, who raised you? Who passes the ball? No, we shoot the ball, right? No, I took it. I took it on the chin. I was like, yes, sir. Yes, I won't scream again. But we started realizing with the third or fourth game that Revan, he starts off really good. And then throughout the game, he starts to lose interest. And then about after halftime, he starts putting his hands in his shirt and then flying it out and running down the like Batman, because he loves Batman, and like then he starts loving all of his, his friends and giving them hugs in the middle of the game, just appreciating them to be there. I'm like, oh, it's great, but uh, oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed. And I was like, how do I keep this guy motivated to stay in the game? Well, we started realizing that his favorite thing is Legos, and well, in order for you to buy a Lego, you need some money, right? And so my wife and I, we started bribing him a little bit, all right? And we said, okay, for every steal, you get a quarter. For every rebound, you get a quarter. For every shot, you get a dime. All right, but if you make it, you get a dollar. And then Grandpa overheard, and he's like, well, not only a dollar, but you'll get five dollars from me. Homeboy went out like LeBron James. No, he went better. He went better. Michael Jordan, right? Is that sensitive? All right, he went out like MJ, bro. He was, I mean going in, like ripping like these steals, I mean grabbing these rebounds. Uh, he shot, I think, 22 times, three of which were behind the backboard, right? Uh, the moms were looking at me, I'm like, listen, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, all right? Killing it. Now, he shot 22 times and only made one, but we're, we're happy, all right? That dude made bank that day. But you know what I realized um, what I realized is what kept him in the game was not the fact that I was yelling at him. It wasn't the fact that other team players were, were making him uh, like play better. It wasn't the fact that his coach was coaching him any, any better. The only reason why he stayed in the game and became the player that he needed to be was because his why for playing the game made him better. His why kept him in the game. It kept him more focused. It kept him less distracted. And it made him hungry to become the best player that he possibly could be. And students, I just want to ask you this question. You know what's coming. Is, does your why for living this life keep you more focused? Does it keep you less distracted? Does it make you hungrier to be the best possible person that you possibly can be? Now, now I think sometimes we can get a little rushy 
and, and, and crossover, and we, can, and we can just move too fast and trying to get it done. Uh, right now, I want us to just kind of rest for about 15 seconds to 30 seconds, and I want you to write this in your notes. I want you to maybe type it on on your phone, but I want you to ask yourself this question, and I want you to rest in it for just a second, is what is the why of my life? Why do I live this life? You know, my follow-up question is always, if you know your why, then does your life match up with your why? See, in, in 1 John here, We've learned that John is writing this letter to an unknown church, but we know it's an infant church, and it's, it's growing, it's making its first strides into becoming a, a strong and sturdy church, but it's, it's, it's growing from spiritual milk to spiritual meat, and it's really trying to learn who they need to be in Christ and how they can impact the world. It kind of sounds like where some of us are at right now. We're trying to take our first steps of our own faithful walk away from our parents, away from our youth groups, and we are trying to be the men and women of God that we need to be. And what I love about John is that he doesn't generalize problems. He doesn't generalize statements. He, he specifies each point to each person. He doesn't want you to be able to hide in the shadows. He doesn't want you to hide back in the pews of the church. He wants each person to know that they have a specific plan and they need to know what their why is for this life. And they need to know their why so they can interact in and through this world and be the person of God that they need to be. And he is all about, do you know your why? Do you know who you are? In this world. And he starts off with how do they know their why in this text. And he's very clear and precise. Is that if your why is loving this world. Then the love of the Father is not in you. Now I need you to be careful on how you read this. Because what he did not say is that if you love the world. Then the Father does not love you. No, no, no. We know that John doesn't believe that. I mean, he wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the entirety of the world. He loves the world. I think it's 1 Timothy 4.10, and it talks about that Jesus is the Savior to all. He's not the Savior to just some. He's the Savior to all. He wants to have that relationship. He loves you. So it's not saying that if you love the world that the Father doesn't love you. No, no, no. He's saying that if you love the world, then you don't have the love of the Father in you. Which means if you love the world, then you don't love the Father. Now, I think we need to understand what the love of the world is. What is the world that he's talking about? And he's not talking about the planet uh, Earth. He, he's not even talking about the people group of this world. What he's talking about, and I love how Dr. Tony Evans states it, the world means an organized system headed by Satan that draws us away from God's love and God's will. The world here is an organized system headed by Satan that draws us away from God's love and God's will. Listen, students, you love the world when it owns you. 
You love the world when it owns you, when it owns your affections, when it, own, when it decides your choices, and you're ready for this, and when it makes you exclude God. See, when the moon shines, it actually was reflecting the light of the sun. And sometimes the earth gets in the way, so the moon's light is diminished. The same way we have an enemy that prevents us from reflecting the light of Jesus in our life, and that enemy is called the world. So here's the danger of the world. It makes you exclude God and insert control and contamination of the devil. Now, if, if your why is based on the world, the love of the Father is not in you, and you are being controlled and contaminated by what? The organization set up by the devil to make you exclude God and insert something else. That is when your why is wrong. John then gives us three main appeals. He gives us three temptations that the world tries to offer us in giving us the wrong why. In verse 16, he starts it off with, for all that is in the world, first off, the desires of the flesh. Now I know that all of us, we jump in to a thought when we think of desires of the flesh and I was going to count to three and have us all shout it out at the same time, but I thought that'd be a little awkward, right? It was eating, right? Was that it? Was that all you else thought? Like eating, right? I know it was, all right? It wasn't anything else. But here's what I will say about this, especially just these three aspects of, of these temptations. All three of these things uh, that the world will offer you it is promises to satisfy a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. The world will offer you promises to satisfy legitimate desires in an illegitimate way. So here's the desire of the flesh that he's talking about, or the lust of the flesh, as some people say. And it can be a variety of things about the lust of the flesh. Eating, we know it's a legitimate thing. We can't just live on, on the word of God alone. We need some bread as well in our life. So, the, so eating is legitimate, but gluttony is worldly. And I guess we could even flip that around, that, that eating is legitimate and starving yourself is worldly. And we can go to the thing that most of us thought about. Sex is legitimate when it's done in a biblical context, when it is a man and a woman in a marriage, and it's made to glorify God. Sex is legitimate, but immorality is worldly. And John is telling his readers, your why is in the world when you satisfy your fleshly desires in an illegitimate way. So students, don't, don't, don't lose sight here. Don't miss this. Desires of the flesh are handled wrong when they are done to satisfy yourself without being approved by God. And John was saying here, listen, this is where your why is exposed. Do you have the character of Christ that if something is presented to you, and you, you, you lay it out there, what is that one fleshly thing in your life that if it's presented to you that you have struggled with. I don't know what it is. Fill in the blank there. 
Man, it could be your girlfriend uh, and you, you're taking something a little too far physically and you know it's about, and it's right there and it's, it's handed to you. Maybe, it's a, maybe you're feeling pretty stressed out and, and down that night and you want to take something to make you feel something so you can forget about it. Maybe it's a drink that is offered to you and you know if you drink enough of it that it's going to make you numb inside so you don't have to feel the pain of what you are going through, the stresses, the classes, the family problems. You know, I don't know what it is in your life, but there's this fleshy thing. Do you have the character, if it is offered to you, to run from it, or do you take it and you let it control your life? Do you flee from it, or do you take it? See, when you take it, students, here's the problem. Is that you put it in the place of where God should be. And when you put it in the place where God should be, then what he is saying is that the love of the Father is not in you. What's the next desire? The next desire is the desire of the eyes. And I know that without a shadow of a doubt when we look at this, and I don't know how you couldn't, especially in the college room, I know that many of us, when we think desires of the eyes, we automatically think of porn. Now, there's no question about it. And some of us right now, the Holy Spirit is crawling up our backs because we felt this conviction before. Because maybe we're feeling this conviction now and porn is just something that we have, we have fallen to. And I understand it's a big deal. And yes, and I think that many of us, when we read this, I think that we can think, man, the porn is just dominating my life. And I hope and I pray that you realize that God can save you from that. If he can save you from all of eternity, if he can save you from the depths of hell by dying for you on the cross, he can save save you from the addiction to porn, amen? But if you look at the context, and if you look at what the Greek words are saying here about the desires of the, the eyes, it is actually saying to this, it's the Greek word for covetousness. It's actually that you have a desire for what other people have. You tracking with me? Is that you covet what they have. And what you do is you look down or you feel less than over what you have and you crave and you hunger for what someone else has in their life. Any single Jesus people out there, come on, raise your hand, right? You might be sitting next to your roomie and she might have her little boy toy there, right? They got the fingers locked, all right? The, the pinkies, they're not waffling, they're pinking today, right? And then they're writing their notes and their matching journals, how precious, and they're laughing at every joke I have, and it's such a cute laugh. And then she scratches his back, and then he looks at her and winks at her, and it melts you, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I want to wink in Bible study? Like, how awesome would that be? And like, you catch them praying together off, like on campus, and then, oh my goodness, like your heart breaks. You're like, Lord, I've been single for 18 years, right? <laughs> like, where's my man at, right? First off, change your voice if it sounds like that, all right? But you covet it. And we laugh, but it's true, because you're like, man, I want that. What about friendships? I mean, this is something that I, 
I've dealt with, especially in high school and college. Like I, I coveted people who had, who had core friends that maybe they've known forever, or even core friends that, like, man, they loved Jesus together, they did life together, man, they helped each other together, they, they would die for one another, and man, like, you just desire to have that friendship, and then you're, you're, you're jealous, you covet, and you're like, oh my goodness, I wish I had that. Or if we can just get a little more personal here, if maybe I can dive in just a little deeper here. Maybe, maybe some of us, we covet what other people look like. We, cover, we covet what their body image is and, and how their body looks. And, and, and we covet it and we, we feel insecure about ourselves and we, we compare and we contrast. And, and don't get me wrong, like, guys, we have a problem with checking out girls. I, I, I understand that. And you need, to, you need to, to watch your eyes, all right? And, you know, probably shouldn't say this, but I got a man, this actually brought something funny up. There was one time there was a youth group, and, and the, we were at a beach party. And the pastor talked about, like, watch your eyes, don't check girls out and all this. And I remember the next day I walked into an elevator, and there was eight girls and one seventh grader guy that I was discipling. And no lie, when I walked into the elevator, the seven girls were looking at me, and that seventh grader was in the corner <laughs> looking up. I was like, bro, what you doing? He goes, I'm watching my eyes, bro. I'm watching my eyes. I don't know why I told you that. It was, I was proud of him that day. Where was I at? Here we go. Guys, we have a problem with checking girls out, and we need to give that to God. That's a sin, no question. That's a, that's a fleshy thing that we are allowing. But girls, let's not let's let's not think that we are we are not that we're above this, because I believe that that some of us we might be just as guilty or more guilty that when when a girl walks in, you can't tell me that that many of us that we don't check them we don't check them out from the from the floor to their head and we compare and we contrast about what she looks like, what she's wearing, what her body looks like, and we compare and we contrast and and here's the problem is that is that you're sizing yourself up and you are judging and then you're losing either way because you either think you are better than her and you look better than her and you dress better than her or on the flip side you're less than and you covet what she has over what you have have I said enough I need to move on right we're getting too uncomfortable because I am all right later on down the road maybe some of you right now you're not dealing with this and it hasn't hit you yet and maybe I can be a little future proof here but maybe for most of us in here, you're going to covet people's finances and the things that they have. And you will see their life and you will compare it to your life and you will covet their money, their toys. You might even covet their, their comfort and not even having to worry about how they're going to pay their next bills the next month when you are literally striving to see how am I going to even be able to feed my family the next month. I don't know what you're coveting, but you want to know what coveting does to you is it takes the joy of who God has made you to be, and it takes the joy away of the position that he has placed you in, and it makes you bitter, and it makes you feel unblessed. That's what covetousness does to you. 
But there's an opposite of coveting, and that's what he talks about in the third point, and it's pride in our possessions. And real, real and short, I feel like it kind of explains itself is that you feel more secure and more stable because of the things that you have and what security you think that you have in the things that you have or in the finances you have. And I think that this can take multiple avenues, uh, especially in the college students, but you either feel pride and security in what you have, but you also feel pride and security maybe in what you look like or maybe in the job that you're about to get or maybe in the grades that you have or maybe in the inheritance that you're about to get. And I'm not saying that having these things are bad. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm saying that when those things become a point of pride and security, they are replacing the position at which God is supposed to be placed in your life. You're putting these things on the throne of your heart, and you're replacing them where God is supposed to be. And your pride and your possessions and your accomplishments make you isolate yourself and you think you did it all on your own and you give God no glory. Listen, all three of these things are so easy for us to fall into. And if your why falls into any of these categories, your why will never motivate you to be doing the life at which God has intended you to do it. And here's why. And he gives an answer in verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God will forever. God will abide forever. And John is promising that all of us He's promising something that all of this stuff, all the beauty, all the finances, everything that you think that you can satisfy yourself with, all of this will pass away. I mean, just think about the relationship in high school. You're like, oh, me and this dude are going get, to get married, right? We're going to get married. Like, I love this guy so much, right? Aren't you glad that y'all broke up, right? Like, my, I heard a lot of girls say yes, all right? What about that car that you were so proud of, and man, it was so awesome, and man, it gave you some swag, right? You thought you were cool, but you got the same car. It's got 200,000 miles on it. The paint's fading. It makes a weird noise when you turn right, right? Like everything fades away. Everything goes away, but there is only one why that will not only satisfy you now, but it will satisfy you forever. And he says it right here. And that why is abiding with Christ. Why do we live our life? I live my life to abide with Christ. And so when I wrote this in my journal and I thought about, well, what would I say about what what is my why? I put, I thought, well, abide in Christ. but, But I live my life. My why is to be close to Jesus. To abide, we talked about earlier, is to be close with Jesus to spend time with Jesus. I live my life to be close to Jesus. And John, as we know, is all about the closeness and the intimacy with your Father in heaven in a close relationship where you don't exclude God in your life, but you include God in everything that you do. So if this is the why in your life, 
that, that everything that you do and say, your end goal is for what? Is for you to have the closeness with Jesus through every aspect of your life. You read his word and then you apply it to your life just like he says, doing the will of God. Then you look back and you can look at these temptations and then you can combat them. Then you got a way to fight these, tempta- tem- these temptations so you don't have to keep on falling under them anymore. You can start putting Jesus back where he needs to be. And when that desire of the flesh comes up, you attack it with your why. I am living this life because I want to be close to Jesus. And when you and your girlfriend get alone in that apartment, you don't exclude Jesus at the door. You keep him smack dab in the middle of your relationship because you want to be close to Jesus. And then you start setting perimeters around your relationship on how do we make sure that we stay close to Jesus and keep him in the middle of our relationship and we don't have to feed the desire of the flesh because we want to feed our closeness with Jesus. Same way goes for, your, for how you operate in this world. You desire to be close to Jesus. And the words you say and the anger you feel and the hate you have, they are all filtered with Jesus and the way he has done for you and how he has died for you and what he has saved you from, from an eternity separated from him and you have trusted that he came and saved you and because of what he has done for you, you're able to filter out all these feelings that you want to act on but you don't have to act on them the way that you want to because you can operate in the way that shows how close you are to Jesus and you take your problems to him and your insecurities and your hurts because you want to be close to him. You don't take it to a bottle. You don't take it to a pill. You don't take it to a food. You keep Jesus close by because you want to put him back on the throne of your heart where he needs to be. But then it carries over to the desires of our eyes. You keep watch on what you watch, right? And what you are looking for. And you don't have an insecurity over what you look like. And what you don't have, because Jesus, you know without a shadow of that, because the word says he takes care of his children, he, he loves his children, he names his children, he provides for his children, and he loves you just the way that you are. I, ladies, I think some of us in here, I think we need to know that Jesus thinks you're beautiful. Like Jesus thinks that you are beautiful. He hears you. When you're singing in the morning, getting dressed, he hears you singing those praise and worship songs in the morning and you feel close to him. And he feels you when you're walking to class and you think it's a beautiful day and you think how great and how powerful he hears. But the moment that you take your eyes off of him and you start focusing on what that other girl has or what that other girl looks like or what that other person has, and you start coveting that and you start feeling all this, that is the moment that you take Jesus off of the throne and you take the love off of the throne and you start putting something else up there. He doesn't want that. He wants you to know that that you are perfect the way that you are and let him be the one to define you. Let him be the one to fulfill you. Let him be the one to make you feel like a child of the God. But fellas, don't compare as well. Don't compare what other people have. Don't compare what job they're about to have or grades they have or girlfriends they have. Because listen, this is what happens when you're constantly comparing yourself. 
you aren't thankful for what you have now and how blessed you are. Because I promise you 20 years from now, you're going to look back and say, man, I had such a good experience there. I wish I wouldn't have just always been thinking about the future. See, the devil wants you to always be thinking about what's next or what you don't have. He wants you to be thinking about everything else. He doesn't want you to think how blessed you are now. Don't waste your time thinking about the future. Live in a moment. Be thankful for it. Look around. See where God is at. And live for the closeness of Jesus. Now lastly is pride and possessions. When you are close to Jesus, you work hard because you do all things for the glory of God, but what you have isn't something that you have required on your own, and the goal of of what you have and what you have required, or either the wealth that you have, or the job, or the social status, is for one thing and for one thing alone, and that is to spread the good news uh, about the person that you're trying to stay close with, and that is Jesus Christ. You're able to, to attack that pride and possessions because you're like, listen, I didn't get it for my own, but it's also not for my glory. It's for the glory of Jesus. Now, students, listen, as we close up here, I want you to ask yourself, what's my why? Like, like what, what, why am I living this life? What, am I, what is my aim? And I, I wish there was a fourth one that John would have put of, of just nothingness. Right? I feel like a lot of us, we don't really have a why. We just live aimlessly in this life, and, and we're surviving moments like high school and college, and we're going to survive a, a, a job, and we're going to survive marriage, but really we don't have an aim or a desire. And I'm telling you, that's exactly where the devil wants you. He wants you aimless. And without vision, what does the what does Old Testament say? And without vision, people will perish. What is my Why? Why am I living this life? And my hope and my prayer is is that we're living to be close to Jesus. Amen?